good morning, everybody. I welcome you in the name of Jesus. Now, I think it was last Sunday, just about the most North Carolina thing ever happened. If you were here last Sunday, you looked out the window, and we, with my own eyes, I saw snow washing pollen away. (laughs) You know you're in North Carolina when you see snow washing pollen away. Well, you also know that you're in a uh, Christ-honoring, Holy Spirit's at work, God the Father is glorified church when a couple things happen. At the top of that list is you feel welcomed. And I prayed this morning as you stepped in here, because God is a welcoming God, we want you to know that you are welcome here, especially if this is one of your first times with us. So if you're one of our, uh, either this is your first time with us or one of your first times with us, we'd love to know a little bit more about you. We've got a QR code, it's on the screen, and that same QR code is in the bulletin. So if you open up your bulletin, you got the QR code there, that'll lead you to, a, uh, that'll link you to a place where you can tell us a little bit about yourself, because we don't want to just welcome you from afar and from a distance, but uh, in person. We'd love in the next uh, 24 to 48 hours be able to follow up with you. So if you're a guest with us, we are thrilled that you are here. Uh, fill out that information, and we'd love to, uh, to be able to follow up with you in the days that are to come. Another marker of a church where the Holy Spirit is at work is uh, we open up our Bibles and take what God says in His Word seriously. So I'd love for you to join me in Psalm 86, verse 11. When I was a young man, somebody told me, you got your Bible and open it up to about the halfway point. Most likely, you'll be in the book of Psalms, right? So Psalm chapter 86 and verse number 11. Uh, This verse is what's called our fighter verse passage for this coming week. As a church family, uh, we don't want to just talk about the Lord on Sundays. Amen. We want to be in His Word. And more importantly, we want His Word to be in us. So a fighter verse is a way to to, to do that. What are we fighting against with uh, with a fighter verse? Well, we're fighting against drift spiritual drift. We're fighting against uh, a lack of knowledge of who God really is. Uh, so, so fighter verse, Psalm 86, 11. This is David, and he's praying. And here's what he asks of God. We're going we're gonna to read what David asks of God, but I'd love for you to think for a moment, what have you asked God for this past week? What have you really asked him for? Here's Here's David, and remember, the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart, right? He's not a perfect man. He makes some of the most destructive decisions anybody could make. But the trajectory of his life is he has a heart for God. So here's what David asks. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Now, I'll get to preaching a little bit later, so I won't do that for a long time right now. But, but what's David asking? He's asking for a united heart. So what is your heart? Have you ever told somebody, I love you with all my heart? What, what are you saying? What is your heart? Well, the Bible teaches the heart is the real you. It's your inner person. Remember it was said when David was going to be anointed king, 
uh, man looks on the outward appearance, what does God look at? God looks at the heart. The Bible teaches your heart is made up of three things. You ready? The heart is made up of your mind. That might sound counterintuitive, but just hang with me. It's what you, where you think, where you plan, where your imagination exists. And then your heart's also made up of your affections, what you crave, what you hunger, what you, what you want, what you desire. And the heart is made up of your will, what you, dis, what you decide and take action. So you can probably understand, you ever think you should do something, but you don't feel like that's what you actually want to do, right? You have a divided heart. Or you say, I know I should do this, but man, what I really want to do is this. It's a divided heart. All of us, everybody in the room wrestles with having a divided heart. Now notice what David says, I want you to unite my heart. In other, way, in other words, Lord, in my mind, how I think, how I plan, what I'm saying I want to do, what, what my, my thoughts are, I want them to be in line with your ways. But that's not all. My desires, what I crave, what I hunger. I want to be a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And then my will, what I purpose, what I decide, what I actually do in my life. I want them to be united, but specifically to fear your name. Now, your heart, here's what I know about it. It has a controlling fear. There's an ultimate fear in your heart. Most people, if we're disconnected from God, the biggest fear we've got is the fear of other people, what they think. And that affects how you think, how you feel, and what you do. Can I get an amen? If that's the biggest fear you've got. That's a, um, what we might call a, uh, oh, that's an imprisoning fear. That's not an abundant life to live that way. That's a controlling fear in all the worst ways. A liberating fear is to fear the Lord. To love him with all your heart means the way you think, the way you feel, and what you purpose to do. So I'm going to invite you to stand right now, and, and let's, uh, let's pray what David prays in Psalm 86, 11, that you would have a united heart to fear the Lord, and that he teach us his ways that we could walk in his truth. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing to the Lord together. Father, in my life, I do not want to have one foot in and one foot out in following Jesus. I don't want to have a, a mind that, that sort of, kind of loves the Lord, but then desires and hungers that are not in line with fearing you. I want to have a united heart and help that be the, um, the basis of our, of our unity as a church family, that we're united with one another because our hearts are united to, to you. I thank you for Jesus, the perfect example of one who honors his father with his mind, his affections, and his will. Thank you for the united heart of Christ. Our redemption is only possible because of who he is. So now we pray that we would be all the more like him by your grace. You would be transforming us into the likeness of our king, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
I am not who I used to be. Well, praise God for that. Is that anybody's testimony here? You're not who you used to be. Thank God I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I'm going to be, but praise God, I'm not who I used to be. But do you know who is? Jesus is. Jesus is who he has always been. That gives me a lot of hope, doesn't it, you? I mean, the reason that I can be someone other than who I used to be is because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't used to love you and now doesn't love you so much. He's the same. And it's him who's speaking in Matthew 28. So I'd love for you to stand uh, in, uh, in a way of expressing physically what I want it to be true of us spiritually, that we are attuned and ready to hear what he says. This is a word for you. In fact, I want you to kind of think of it that way. When Jesus starts speaking in Matthew 28, I want you to think of him as if he's speaking to you because he is. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's our aim today. I want you to see that this command is for you. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are commanded to make disciples. We'll talk about that That'll be our aim this morning, and uh, I want you to see there in verse 16 that uh, 11 disciples went to the Galilee. So he's talking to you, and he's also talking to us. None of us are going to get where we need to go alone, but we are going to get there by God's grace to, together. So let's pray to that end. Father, we ask now for help as a church family to, uh, to not live, not act, not decide, not go through life as if... We don't have this command, and I pray that, that we'd see actually obeying your commands does not limit life. It brings life, and to the extent that we are obeying the command to make disciples, we are experiencing the abundant life that Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised, and ascended to give us. I, I'm asking that you would increase our joy unto obedience in making disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Of course, you may be, be seated. Uh, if God will help us, uh, you'll walk out of here saying that making disciples isn't just an assignment that I've been given. It's actually the great privilege of my life. So are you, right now in your life, are you involved in making disciples? And I beg the question that we tried to answer a couple of weeks ago. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus who's transformed from the inside out. Your heart is transformed. That's where it starts. The real you is transformed from the inside out. And that leads to a transformed mind, transformed affections, transformed will. I mean, is there an explanation for the way you're living your life except for you love Jesus? Your mission in life is transformed. I'm so encouraged and so helped by this little phrase here. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. So if you're, if you're in a, a, a phase of life, a season of life where you're just full of doubt, like, I don't know about all this. Good news. That's true then. 
They've been through some hard things, right? Did you hear it? Now, the 11, that's not how they started. Started with 12, didn't they? And maybe you're in a season of life where someone you care about deeply, that you thought was all in as you're all in and following Jesus, and it turned out they're not. Judas isn't there. His heart wasn't set on the things of God. And he, and, and he was out of there. But, but Jesus is still there. <laughs> That's what always gives me hope. Jesus is still there. So let's get the information, but then I don't want you to just have information. The purpose of Jesus, the command of Jesus, rather, is that our purpose is to make disciples. There's a phrase that you've probably heard before that I want to use that will help us think through this important passage. And the phrase is mission creep. C-R-E-E-P. How many of you ever heard that phrase before? Mission creep. The first time that uh, it seems it was used in print was in a 1993 Washington Post article. You might remember that back in 1993, the UN had sent peacekeeping forces to Somalia. And their mission was to provide humanitarian relief. But circumstances on the ground were such that their original mission began to change. They were dealing with a lot of stressful things, and their original mission started to get things added to it, right? So they showed up and said, here's what we're going to do. But then over time, things began to get added to their mission. So, so a few worthwhile definitions. Here's one of mission creep. A gradual shift in objectives during the course of a military campaign often resulting in an unplanned long-term commitment, right? In other words, mission creep can happen that not only are you not doing what you were originally supposed to do, but now you've got a long-term commitment to something that doesn't really have anything to do with where you started, right? Or another definition, the gradual, that's the word that was used in both definitions, by the way, gradual, it's not overnight, it's not suddenly, it's gradual, broadening of the original objectives of a mission or organization. So mission creep is a real challenge. And anytime different goals and objectives are added, the result is complexity. Now, Jesus said, all authority is given to him. What does that mean? He's in charge, amen? And it's good that he is. So when I'm receiving a purpose for my life, I have to receive it from the one who's in charge. And here's how life works. Either you really submit to King Jesus or you live as if you're the one in charge. And this has everything to do with the mission. Amen? So Jesus gives his people a mission to, to make disciples. And all the enemies of Jesus are aligned against his people achieving that mission. And one of the most subtle ways that followers of Jesus are drawn away from that mission is to go through or, or, or to, to have mission creep, the gradual broadening of the original objective. And we're not talking about bad things that get added to the list. We're talking about pretty good things, worthwhile things, just not the main thing. But, but here's good news for us. Here's good news for us. Jesus had said, I'm with you always. Do you see it right there? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 20. I am with you always. So he's promised two things, his authority and his presence. 
but let's know, let's, let's know this and see this. His authority and presence are connected to the mission. Amen? I want you to see that. So his authority and presence are with those who are obeying the command to make disciples. Have you ever seen the uh, little segment on, uh, I think it's college game day, you had one job, right? Have you ever seen that? And it's always like this little funny thing that happens in the uh, college football games where I usually see it. And you had one job, and that one thing you were supposed to do gets blown up, or uh, usually in a humorous way, sometimes in a really painful way. But we've got one job. In Matthew 28, let's do a little Bible study together. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, there is one command, one statement in the imperative, and that is go, or I'm sorry, that is make disciples. And around that one command are three participles. Now hang with me. Three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. So let's talk about it for a moment. One command, that command is carried out as you do three things. Number one, while you go. Anybody going somewhere this week? Anybody going somewhere this week? Somebody's just going to stay at home and sit there the whole day, all week. Now, you're going to go somewhere. Where are you going to go? You're going to, you're going to go to work. Who tomorrow is going to go to work? You're going to go to school. You're going to go to soccer practice. You're going to go to the Y. I've seen some of y'all there, and y'all have seen me there. And next time you see me there, say, Brandon, pick it up. Let's go. You're going to go to the coffee shop. You're going to go to the hair appointment. You're going to go to the pickup line at school. You're going to go to the grocery store. And somewhere in there, I hope you're going to go to bed. But it's actually those other, other places. That's what Jesus is referring to. While you're going through life, the word the Bible always uses about your real life, your ordinary life, your everyday life, is your walk. And while you're walking, you are going. So, so the command to make disciples is not disconnected from where you go in life. Wherever you go. Name all the places you're going to go this week. You're to go with a heart of making disciples. So whether you, whether you stay local or you're going to travel a long distance, you're focused on making disciples. So start to have this heart. When you go to the grocery store, here's me. How can I get in and out as fast as possible? And my whole life is about efficiency. I've got this thing on my wrist, and if it could talk back to you, it would say, stop looking at me so frequently. So I've always said, what time is it? Got to go through. And if you're not careful, remember, love is patient. That word is unhurried. If you're really going to love people, you're going to have a heart that they know Jesus. I know that's stating the obvious, but sometimes, man, you live in 2023, and if you're not careful, you're going to rush through your whole life and forget that God's call in your life is not be as efficient as you can. Sometimes I, I, had a, I read this in a book one time, and I thought this was pretty good advice. He said, every so often, you need to sit down and write on paper what it is that you're actually living for in your life. Not what you think it should be, but what it actually is. I've got an old journal that I kept from my teenage years, and, I, and, and that's when I heard that. And I wrote with some specificity and honesty. One day, I said, I live like being entertained is God's call on my life. What's the next movie? What's the next TV show? When's the next ball game? I live as if... Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, so be entertained. That's not what he said, is it? He said, go and make disciples. But the truth of the matter is, a whole lot of disciple making doesn't get done because we are so caught up in being entertained or some other lesser mission creep to my life. So going and then baptizing. 
What does he mean when he says baptizing? That's the mark of conversion. If we were to turn to the book of Acts, and we'll see over and over again that when someone repents and believes in Jesus, they're baptized. It's an outward picture of what God has done on the inside. You're dying to an old way of life, and you're being raised up to a new life, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This lets our aim see that we want to see people become followers of Jesus. We do not, as a church family, want to string together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and nobody's in that baptistry. We don't want that. As a matter of fact, if that is happening, something's not lined up with obeying his command. So we go and baptizing and then teaching them to observe all that I command. And once someone becomes a follower of Jesus, that's not the, the finish line. That's the starting point. We want to see them mature. Now, last, uh, last Sunday when we were together, we saw, uh, here's how Jesus makes disciples. There, there's actually a process to it, right? He goes to these guys and says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. In other words, he's got a destination in mind. So at first, Jesus is doing all the doing and they're watching. That's Matthew chapter 4. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then Jesus is teaching. Matthew 5, Jesus sat on a mountain and when he, when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened up his mouth and taught them saying, and then Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount. So they're observing, they're watching. That's what, that's what, uh, uh, that's what one-year-old babies do, I can tell you that. My little girl turned one this week and she watches all the time, observes all the time. The cutest thing she does right now, Julie, pretty regularly sings to her itsy-bitsy spider and she gets those fingers out. And not at first... But she learned the tune. I'm just telling y'all, it's so cute. She gets those little fingers, itsy, bitsy, spider. How did she learn to do that? She watched. Now, this is so important. She will, she will not always only watch. You know what I'm saying? So a disciple, that's where they start, but they continue in maturity. And it goes from Jesus says, I'll do, you watch. To now it becomes, you follow their progression. Jesus says, I'm doing, you're helping. So when he goes to feed the 5,000, for example, remember at first the disciples came up to say, you got to send these folks away. It's getting late. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. That's why they're taken aback. He said, well, wait a minute. I thought you did all the doing. I mean, you're a pretty good doer. You give them something to eat. And one of the disciples speaks up and says, we ain't got enough money for that. Can I just go on and tell you as a church family, we ain't got enough money for the doing that needs to get done. But Jesus says, I've got all authority and power, and I'm going to be with you. Because most of the work that's going to get done, it's not just about money. That's where their mind was, resources. We need more resources. No, he said, you actually need more obedience. So you, I'm going to multiply. I'm going to do something that you can't do, but I'm not going to do what you got to do, which is they actually take the baskets and start passing it out. Isn't this such, such a great thing about the heart of God? He doesn't tell Peter first to go preach at Pentecost. Peter has to demonstrate some faithfulness in little things, right? And this is kind of an issue in our culture, in my opinion. Everybody wants to skip serving baskets and get on center stage. But Jesus says, I got to see these, these guys develop and cultivate humility. And so if you go back and read that story, they got 12 basketfuls left over. So they got to carry out the leftovers. But that's not where Jesus stops. We go a little bit further on. And now he says, I'm going to send y'all out two by two. Y'all are going to go out and you're going to teach and you're going to cast out demons. What is he saying? You're going to go out now and do the things that I've been doing. And I'm giving you my power to do so. So they go out and they get it right every time, right off the bat. No. 
Jesus said, I'll send you to cast out demons. And they get in a situation, they say, we can't cast them out. And Jesus doesn't say, look at them and say, boy, you guys are worthless. No, he corrects them. He says, this one, this kind of man, you're in a spiritual fight. This is only going to, uh, victory is only going to go through prayer and fasting. And by the way, fasting, we might come back to this and talk in a couple of Sundays. Most American churchgoers hear the word fasting and say, <laughs> and there's a reason a lot of things that should be cast out aren't getting cast out because we, we're still stuck in phase two. Do you know what I'm saying? And then you follow him a little bit longer, and this is when we get here. He says, now you are going to go and make disciples. That's the full phase of maturity. And you get over to the book of Acts, and again, they're not perfect. Peter's still got some stuff bound up in his heart that he's got to get right. But by and large, their character and actions are in line with the character and actions of Jesus in the Gospels, right? That's the heart of God. That's the mission for the church. So uh, a way that we can always step back and say, hey, are we headed in the right direction? A church will be going, baptizing, and teaching. As a matter of fact, you, you could do this exercise. You could sit down today. I've done this. And you say, here are things we as a church family do at least twice a month. And then you look to categorize them as either that's going, that's baptizing, seeing those who don't know Jesus come to faith in Jesus, or that's teaching. And here's, here's the reality where most churches in 2023 are. If you start to do that, you actually find that much of the activities are underneath the category of teaching and not so much of doing, which is what leads to disciples. I think the observation I gave you last week is uh, frequently in the American church now, we're, going, we're doing those first two phases, Right? Uh, Jesus says, I do, you watch, and I do, you help. But we want to continue to grow into, now, we're beginning to do the things of making disciples. So uh, I sat down and prayed and asked the Lord's help. Uh, I got a couple things, and we'll do these quickly, about a church that makes disciples. A church that makes disciples. Got four things. Number, number one, we're going to know there's a big difference between a lot of activity and a lot of growth. A difference between a lot of activity and a lot of growth. In other words, just because you're busy in life doesn't mean you're productive. Amen? How many of you are super busy? How many of you are super productive? It can get clogged up, can it? So, so our goal isn't to let's fill up the calendar with activities. Our goal is let's fill up the city with disciples. Think of it this way. I think we did this a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Take a deep breath in. And I want you to hold it. And how long can you hold it? What's the most natural thing in the world? Right? You, you can't breathe in or breathe out and live. Amen? Now, if all you do is breathe in, what happens? My brothers taught me when I was little, if you breathe way in, your shoulders get bigger. And I walked around Bimba New Middle School like that. It's so ridiculous. But I did. Sometimes I'd sit down finally in the cafeteria and go, oh. Now, if you, all you do is breathe in, you get puffed up. Now, conversely, if all you do is breathe out, you'll give out. Disciple making, you got to do both. We come in together. Praise God for this service. I love Sunday mornings. I love right now. Bible's open studying 
but, but this should be equipping you for the moment you step out of here and you're going to go home, you're going to go to work, you're going to go to the grocery store, you're going to go to the restaurant, you're going to go to your life that you live, and that's where you breathe out. Now I'm going to serve and love people in light of what I've, I've learned. So if all you ever do is breathe in, you get puffed up. That's what the Bible says. Knowledge puffs up. I think I shared with you about my college uh, friend who started taking Mass Builder. He's going to get ripped, but he started taking Mass Builder and never went to work out, and he built some Mass but he did not get ripped. Why not? They go together. All of your living functions, whether it's your heart, your lungs, most everything has a coming in, going out component because that's how life works. So, I want to tell you some things, and hopefully, as your pastor, they encourage you. Much of making disciples in your life is going to take place when you're not in this building. I want you to know that, hey, if you're the soccer coach, we're just going to pray for you, first of all. But if you're a soccer coach and you got 10, 11, 12 kids on your team, but you're building relationships with the moms and the dads who don't know Jesus with a heart and mind that you want to be an excellent coach, I'll tell you, be an excellent coach. Be organized. Communicate well. Be kind to the children and teach them some soccer skills. But with a heart that leverages all that time to share Jesus, that's in line with making disciples. I just want you to know that. Sometimes we have to give ourselves permission because if we're not careful, we start connecting. If I'm really going to be doing something for the Lord, it means I'm going to be teaching the class at church or gathering at the church building. So Now, you know this. We all say this, and it's true, but it's easier said than really believed. The church is not a building, it is a people. But we're all this way. Say, well, you you might have said it to somebody yesterday. Tomorrow I'm going to church. Now, I don't want to be the vocabulary police or anything like that, but it would be awesome to hear more and more of us saying, tomorrow I'm going to gather with the church at that building. But the building's not the church, you're the church. You're the one commanded to go and make disciples. Or, or if you're a school teacher and you demonstrate love and compassion for students and do an excellent job and go out of your way to encourage families while leveraging that to share Jesus with people, that's being a disciple maker. When, when mission creep sets in, we'll begin to devote more hours to all the additional things we've added to the list that you ultimately left with no hours to devote yourself with what the mission was to begin with. Does that make sense? Teaching them to observe my commandments. And when Jesus said that, man, every word that Jesus says is so important. Teaching them to observe means teaching them to live it out. Not just know what the commandments are, but to live them out. Robbie Gallaty said, in the North American church, we often act like what Jesus commanded was go and make church attenders instead of go and make disciples. And this matters because in, in my life, I've got to say, have I spent more time at church? Now, I'm going to spend time at church. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to breathe in. But it also matters that I go out. It's worth noting that if activity was the indicator of authentic discipleship, Judas would have passed that test. He would have. He did some stuff. He went out. When Jesus sent him out two by two, he went out. He was there. He was there for the Bible study for the Sermon on the Mount. It just never made its way into his, his heart. So, so it's not activity 
It's growth that is the maturity test. Second, second test. We're, we're going to trust maturity comes through ministry, not before ministry. Have you ever had the Bible just correct something in your life you were getting flat out wrong? I have, and it's this issue right here. So if you got your Bible in Matthew, I want you to go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. That's another New Testament book. It's a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a church located in Ephesus. So Ephesians chapter 4. So here's the correction that I needed in my life, and I'll uh, present it to you in the form of a question. What happens first, maturity or ministry? In other words, does someone need to be a mature follower of Jesus before they minister, or is it through ministering that you become mature? And those are not the two, those things are not the same. The Bible teaches it's one way, not the other. And what I'm telling you is I, I, got it, I got it wrong, so let's see it. You already know. I already gave you the point. It comes, maturity comes through ministry. You, all right, so where am I getting that? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He, that's God, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So which happened first? Ministry or maturity? What happens is you mature through ministry. So often in my life I thought, man, we need to get people mature and we got to get them mature and then they'll go minister. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus sent them out while they, before they were fully mature. In fact, his way of doing it is that you can't become fully mature without ministering. So let me just give you, let, 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 let's uh, give you an example of this. It might be kind of silly, but it's one I heard recently. Let's just pretend, y'all just going to pretend with me for a moment, that Jesus' command was go and make chefs of all nations, right? Just hang with me. If we're not careful, we'll approach it this way. So you go to the church building, and you go to a class where they talk about cooking. And then you go to the service where some guy gets up and he talks to you about cooking. Here's all the great things. about We sing songs about cooking. And then at the end of the service, I tell you about people who are cooking all around the world. And what you give so that they can hear, they can continue to be cooks. And then a little bit later on, we'll, we'll gather in homes, and I love to gather in homes. And then we sit around and we'll talk about cooking. And you already anticipate the point. What You can go and never actually be asked to what? Cook. And then you starve, and the people that you to make disciples of starve. I'll give you an example of this happened in my life. I had someone come to me and say, Brandon, I want you to, I was 15 years old, immature. <laughs> I want you to come and teach the youth group on Wednesday night. And before I knew what I was saying, I said, okay. 15 years old, freshman in high school. I know I say this a lot, but I really do believe it was that week that my hair started turning gray. I went through a couple of nights. I couldn't sleep almost. I'm like, man, I was... when we get there, I, I think I've shared this with y'all before. We got there on that Wednesday night. I was so nervous. I won't go into, de into great detail. I, I hadn't eaten much that week. 
And I was so nervous. I almost bailed, y'all. I'm not even lying. I almost like made up a story and it's like, I got to go. I got to leave. I'm going to walk home. And I just almost ran for it. And I can still remember sitting there. We're in the youth, youth group gathered and they were finishing with a song. And I was, I mean, I'm serious. I was like one foot going that way to where I was going to go speak. And another foot was like, what, can I come back next week? And just, I mean, I got to go up there. So I had, I had, I had uh, prepared a, what I thought, what I thought was about a 20-minute message. And I was to the end of my notes within the first minute. I'm not even kidding. Like, it's done. And then I had this music stand that wasn't like this, nice and sturdy. It was something, and it was broken. And so when I got up there to teach, and I set my Bible down, it immediately, like, sank. And then I kept having to pull it back up. But as I pulled it back up, it made just the harshest, worst noise imaginable. It was like, and if you can turn in your Bible, it was, it, was, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. Somebody might need this later, so I'm going to make sure I go in and put it, put it back in. I walked out of there, and I said, I'll never do that again. This little thought that I had in my mind that I was, one, I was going to teach people God, God's word. I went home, and I laid in my bed, and I, <laughs> I probably cried if I'm just honest. I was like, That's, that, was, that was awful. My youth pastor came up to me or called me on the phone the next day. You know what he said? Next Wednesday, I want you to teach. I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. He, he said, no, I, w- I want you to. I said, I, I need to be more mature before I do that. You know what he was saying? This is how you mature. And, and here's one of the hardest things in the world. He gave me some honest feedback, right? He didn't say, man, that was great. He said, let's get a different stand, and let me sit down beside you, and you, and you tell me a little bit what you want to share, and, and we'll, we'll take a step together. The second time, it was also terrible, but not as terrible, and as a little bit of time went on, right? That's how you mature. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You, you don't have to have it all figured out before you ever throw the net out, right? So some of us, if we're not careful... And as a pastor, if I'm not careful, I say, well, let's wait until you're mature, and then you can minister. Well, Jesus entrusted Peter with some ministry, and Andrew, and James, and John. But he also corrects them sometimes. Get behind me, Satan. He says that to Peter. But he doesn't say, you're no longer a disciple. It doesn't mean that Jesus was done with Peter. It means actually that he loves Peter and says, you got some things in your mind that are not, that's what he says, you are setting your mind on things of, of earth and not on the things of God. Let's do the others uh, pretty quickly. Second, we'll, we'll equip and empower, or, or third, we'll equip and empower people to serve in accordance with their giftedness. Have you ever been asked to do something at church that wasn't in line with your giftedness? Have you ever been asked in church to do something that was in line with your giftedness? Because here's how church life works. Um, because some, I mean, this is an honest, you know, evaluation. Sometimes because you have so much mission creep that church life becomes, we got to fill all these slots. Who can do this and who can do that? And because you're, you're kind and generous and serving people, you end up signing, yeah, I'll do it. Somebody's got to, I'll do it. Anybody will serve for a season to fill a spot, but you'll serve your whole life when it's in accordance with your giftedness. You know what I mean? And, and, and God is not saying, now go make disciples 
that's not in sync with how he made you. Can I give you another example? I'll just give you an example of how I came to faith in Jesus. My brother, older brother, two years older than me, had a guy at high school or a Nash Central. Back then, I think we called it junior high. Maybe it's middle school now. I don't know. At Nash Central, asked him if he wanted to come to church. Youth group. That same youth group that ultimately, you know, four years later, I was going to stand in front of. And, uh, hey, would you want to come on Sunday night? Youth group gets together. We'd love to have you. So my brother said he'd go, and then he comes home, and my brother asked me if I wanted to go. And I initially said, nah, I don't want to do that. The Atlanta Braves were going to play the Minnesota Twins in Game 7 of the World Series that night. I had things to do as my little 12-year-old self. And my brother said, okay, no, no problem. And, and then a little bit later, he came back and said, come on, man, let's, let's go. We'll probably be home before the game even starts. So I went, and I showed up. You're learning some things about young Brandon. Uh, I was just a terrified kid, I guess, because we got up there, and all these kids were in the room, and I was really introverted, and it was very intimidating to me to say, I'm going to take a step into that room. So here I was again. Here I was, again. I was going to turn around and leave. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I was turning around to leave when somebody in the room said, hey, glad you're here. Come on in. My future wife, by the way. I'm not saying that, well, maybe that, anyway. Welcome everybody, not just somebody you're going to marry, right? So, now I went in there, and somebody stood up, they taught the Bible. A few more of the students in that group told me they were glad I was there, wanted to know if I'd come back next Sunday. And they were so nice. And I just kept coming. Very frequently, one of the families would give me a ride home. Another family said, uh, uh, I'll be glad to pick you up. I'm going that way anyway. And, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. In one month, I went from having very little interest in the things of Jesus. Like the twins and braves was the big thing in my life. In one month, I went to have very little interest in Jesus, in Jesus to being a devoted follower of Jesus. And then regularly, week after week, I heard the word taught. And that was the centerpiece of God's work in my life. But it wasn't the only piece. Other teenagers in the group would see me at school and they acted like they knew me, right? They included me. Other adults cared about me, acted like they wanted me around. Much of it happened in the church building and much of it didn't. And I wouldn't have been able to articulate this uh, specifically, but do you know what was happening? Look, look at Ephesians 4. That's where I'm getting this point. Ephesians 4, we're, we're there again. Sorry if, if you turn from there, but Ephesians 4, 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, we are to mature in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What was happening in my life? People were loving me. That's what was happening. Got an invitation. Started real simple, an invite. And then once I showed up, they included me. So simple, but it's true. That's what love does, right? That's what Jesus does. He, he shows up, he invites, and then he includes, and then you can, can mature. Now, I want you to think with me just for a moment about the number of people that were involved. This is just my life. This is my little life, my one little story about becoming a follower of Jesus. How many people were involved in that happening? And they didn't all do the same thing. Paul's picture there, each joint and member works properly, right? 
I can't do with my leg what I can do with my arm. It'd be kind of awkward, frustrating if I tried, right? So in your church, you, you learn your giftedness. And this is, so, so just real quick, somebody invited. They actually didn't even invite me. They invited my brother. Somebody at school, I mean, think about this for a moment. At junior high school said, hey, would you like to come to church? An invite. And then my brother invited me. So that's two, two of us. And then we show up. And man, I was hanging by a thread. And another person says, hey, we're glad you're to come in. You can sit beside me. Marry me in 10 years. Now that isn't a gift. Then somebody stood up and opened up the Bible. Had something, had something to say. Not apologetic. Well, I guess we got to get this. No, this is life. Hear what it says. And then another person said, uh, need, if you need a ride home, I'll take you. And another person said, well, I mean, when I really sit down, it's 15, 16 people. What is that? That's a church. It's a church. And you're likely gifted in one of those ways of making a disciple. You say, I, I don't want to stand up there and teach. That. Man, there's a lot more to disciple making than teaching the word. It's listening. It's showing up when it's hard. Man, I didn't know it at the time, but I was about to in, enter the, the hardest season of my life in a lot of ways. 15 years old, dad goes in the hospital, routine surgery, dies two days later. And I can still in my mind, if I just pause for a moment, and there I am at his visitation, and I look at the back door, and in walks these teenagers. You know who they were? The one that invited my brother, the one who said, you can sit with me, the one who said, hey, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they care about each other. This is, this is the work of the church. Uh, it's, it's harsh out there. Y'all know what I'm saying? So, so one other thing I have to say about a disciple-making church before we conclude is disciple-making church will come under spiritual attack. Will. Will come under spiritual attack. The enemies of Jesus are devoted to us doing anything but obeying the mission of Jesus. The, the church... In book of Acts, gives the pattern, they either face persecution from without or division from within. Those are how the spiritual attacks come. But, hey, I got some really good news. The spiritual attacks come, but because of Jesus, we have one on our side who is greater than all the attacks. Praise God. The power and presence of Jesus will be with those who obey the command of Jesus. So, all the more, let's resolve together that we are going to be devoted to making disciples. We've got some inviters in the room, some come alongsiders in the room. We've got some teachers in the room. We've got some who are great at going. And when they go to the grocery store or the restaurant, you show up and you have a heart that is full of compassion and care. And then we've got some people who are great at saying, you're not a follower of Jesus. Here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus in that baptism kind of ministry, that this is what conversion is. And then we've got some teachers in the room, not just uh, what I'm doing, but teachers in, in terms of coming alongside and having conversations. Jesus, he teaches crowds, but he also shows up with three people at a time, James, John, and, and, and Peter, and so on and, and so forth. So everybody, everybody in the room has a part in a well-rounded church that's building itself up in love to make disciples. So last couple things, let's really appreciate those who are gifted in ways that we're not. I mean, again, my leg can do things that my arm can't, and my arm doesn't say, well, you should be more like me, right? I mean, you'd be freaked out if you were sitting in your pew and a six-foot eyeball came and sat down beside of you, right? It's a part of the body. But if it was the whole body, that's weird. And let's aim for growth, not 
busyness. Let's make disciples of Jesus. So, um, in a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And uh, if, if, God, <clears throat> if God would answer the prayer of David in our life, unite my heart to fear your name, our heart would be united around, and I've got a part to play in making disciples. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray together. And then have a time of response. If you want to respond, you say, uh, uh, here's what we're doing. We're just, resp- um, not just, but we, we are humbly responding to what God has said to us through his word. So if you've got a burden, a concern, or you're just really excited about something in life, and you say, I'd love for someone to pray with me, I will stand right here. You might just come forward and say, I want to be all the more a disciple maker. I'd love to pray with you this morning. You might want to come to the front, just resolve some things with the Lord. You might be here this morning and you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but, but I want to be. I'd love to talk to you. Let's pray. Father, I confess, I confess, I confess that I am very quick to add things to, uh, to the to-do list or, or what I want to be about in my life on top of making disciples. And a lot of times they're good things. So I ask for help. I I pray that you'd bless us as a church, that we're showing up in school classrooms, we're showing up in the school cafeteria, uh, baseball field, the soccer field, the grocery store, our neighborhood, our street that we live on. Lord, where we're investing large chunks of our time, help us to see that there's not a segment of life, there's not an hour of my life that's not to be devoted to making disciples. So help us, help us. Lord, I thank you for my church. That you'd be at work in us. That as we worship and and still can be tended to doubt, that we'll trust that you have all authority. Trust that you will be with us as we live lives of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.